This is the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology. What's going on, everybody? In this episode, we have Caroline Wong. She is a power player in the cybersecurity space, doing amazing things. She's all over the place. She does podcasts. She writes books. She does courses on LinkedIn. Be sure to check this episode out. And if you like all the stuff that we're putting out, be sure to check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Hacker Valley Studios and support us on there. Let's get right to it. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley Studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Welcome back to the show glad to be back in the studio again with caroline wong chief strategy officer at cobalt.io host of humans of infosec podcast and also author of security metrics a beginner's guide many more accolades to your name but first off great to have you on the show thank you so much i really appreciate it caroline you know we do a little bit of research before we jump into any of these discussions with folks because you know learning a little bit about who they are the things they stand for is really important to us i have never seen so many other podcasts with them as a guest than i have with you it's insane <laughs> I, I, like i i just looked at the first page and it was like 20 and i was like okay that's enough we, i just know she does a lot of podcasts it's really really fantastic so at this point i'm sure a lot of people know who you are and know a little bit about your background for but for the people that don't would love to hear a little bit about your origin story and where you are today cool thank you so much for asking so i I'm a pretty open book. I like to start at the very beginning. I was born in San Francisco, child of two Chinese immigrants. I went to UC Berkeley, studied computer science and electrical engineering. And when I graduated college, I was looking for a job. And this was 2005. So PCI had just been passed the year before in 2004. And eBay was looking for a security policy and compliance analyst to join the team. So that's actually how I got my start in InfoSec. Over time, I had the opportunity to lead uh, teams at eBay and also at Zynga. Folks may remember Zynga as the Farmville yep. company. And then sort of did some pivoting. So from practitioner to I went over to Symantec, where I did some product management. And then I went to Sigital, where I did some management consulting. And then now I'm at my first startup, and I have this super unusual role, which is chief strategy officer. But what it means in my case is actually that I oversee security and I also oversee human resources. So it's it's really fun. And I've also been I've always been really passionate about people. So it, it kind of brings together two parts of my life that I that I didn't really expect to come together. That's wow. incredible. So, so you actually do the HR side of the house and the security side of the house. I do. And it turns out, I am so surprised at how many things there are in common between the activities of human resources and security. So things like, number one is culture, right? I think security folks and people folks, we're always trying to influence the way that folks behave. And hopefully they behave, you know, in a way that's more secure, in a way that 
you know, is, is better performance, is more respectful to others. You know, security and human resources people are writing policies. They're doing a lot of training and awareness, and they deal with very sensitive topics. So, you know, you think about like security incidents that maybe not a lot of people at an organization even know what's going on. There's, there's human resources things that similarly uh, need to be kept confidential. And so it's just, it's really fun to kind of learn about the different ways in which these two very different functions actually have uh, some things in common. Would you recommend it for someone else to look at being strategy officer in the same way that you're approaching it today? 100%. I think so. There's another person that I know, Julie Cullivan is the CTO and chief people officer at Four Scout. And her role is is kind of one that I've that I've seen that's a little bit similar to mine. But I do think that for a lot of technology companies, it, it makes a lot of sense. I think at the end of the day, you know, security, whether it's cybersecurity, whether it's physical security, any sort of security is really about protecting value. And human resources is about, from my perspective, the most valuable part of a company, which is its people. That's incredible. And the, the thing that I think that's so interesting about you is that, like us, you seem to be obsessed with the human aspect of cybersecurity. Can you tell us a little bit about the origin story of your podcast? Yes. So I'm so proud of Humans of InfoSec. You know, I, over the past several years, have come to really enjoy consuming information via audio. So I was actually an Audible listener back when Audible, I don't know if they still do this, but back in the day, they used to, they used to ship these devices. You could get like an Audible audiobook listening device. And I just, I love to, I love to listen to books. I love to listen to the news. I love to listen to podcasts and I use podcasts as a way to learn. And so I've listened to a few of the security podcasts that are out there. And a lot of them focus on current events. A lot of them focus on technical aspects of the work that we do as information security practitioners. And and I sort of fell into cybersecurity as an industry and along the way found out that it's extremely interesting and, and extremely fun, can be extremely fun. And for me, the best part has has actually been the people. Side note, also the worst part. Um, but now that I'm a little bit further progressed in my career, I've learned some techniques to to surround myself with really good people. And I just I I'm uh, I'm often in awe of some of the incredible individuals that make up our industry. And so Humans of Podcast Humans of Infosec, the name is sort of influenced by Humans of New York, which I think is like an Instagram photo account. You know, it's it's actually it's just so fun to to get to know people. And I I really I really think that it's hard to take a person's career and their work out of context of everything else that's going on in their lives. And I think that, you know, the full story of a person's life uh, is fascinating. So that is what uh, I get to explore with my guests on the podcast. That's that's really awesome. And I see that you're very active even outside of the podcast. And you just mentioned surrounding yourself around 
people that are very ambitious and like-minded. What is your strategy for doing that? Yeah, so what a good question. Um, I will say that I didn't always know that 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 was available to me. I really lucked out when I started on my career on the eBay Global Information Security team. At the time, the CISO and VP, Dave Colonnane, had joined us formerly from Washington Mutual. And he built this incredible team with a really strong culture, really great, smart, hardworking people. And I really sort of took a good team culture for granted and just sort of assumed that it was all like that. And then I went to other places and found out that actually, you know, there are there are people who behave differently. There are people who bully. There are people who, you know, there are people who manipulate. There's all sorts of not cool out there. And so, you know, as I as I progressed through my career, I realized that, you know, for any of us that have cybersecurity skills, because of the talent shortage, we're actually in this really awesome and relatively unique position, which is there's more jobs out there than people to do those jobs. And so we get to pick. And so whereas in the past, you know, I would evaluate job opportunities based on like, okay, what's the role? You know, what's the work? And now I actually evaluate it a lot on who are the people? Because to me, that that just makes makes or breaks, you know, the quality of my life. That's a great point. I think that not only just surrounding yourself with the, like the companies with the right people, I think that's also like my strategy and that I, the pr- approach I've taken in the past for looking for jobs also is like looking at the team and the people behind the team rather than just the company and the company mission. Yep. Yeah. So speaking of people, I, I looked at some of the guest lists that you have on your podcast a lot of people I know, Jimmy Sanders, Tanya Janka, AMZ, Will Bankson. What are some of your favorite guests that have been on your podcast? Oh, gosh. I mean, the podcast is just so full of amazing guests. You know, I actually have in my mind the names of a couple of folks that we've recently recorded that we haven't released quite yet. And I'm really excited for those. I mean, I think that you know, without calling out a specific podcast guest, I will say that one of the things that I think emerges as a theme from Humans of InfoSec is that everyone is totally different. Everyone has a different story. We work in an industry that is sufficiently young and immature enough that we're just figuring it out. There's not one way into the industry. There's not one path once you get into the industry. We have a relatively high percentage of my podcast guests who don't have a college degree, a pretty significant number of folks who like dropped out of high school. And so it's just really interesting to see how, you know, people find themselves experts in this field and folks just, you know, got there all sorts of different ways. That's a question that we get uh, quite a bit is how do you break into the into the field for someone new or just getting started based off of all of the podcast interviews and all of the collected wisdom that you have? What would be your recommended way to to get started in tech or cybersecurity? Yep. So 
My advice is very pragmatic. Go look at job descriptions and see what people are looking for in candidates. And if you don't have it, go get it. It's, it's, it's straightforward in a way. Another thing that I would say is that, unfortunately, our industry has a matching problem. We almost need something like Tinder for InfoSec jobs and candidates. Because it's so funny how I speak with hiring managers in information security, and a lot of them really struggle to fill positions on their teams. And then at the same time, I speak with amazing candidates or people who, you know, the reality is a lot of folks in InfoSec who are looking for jobs already have a job. They're just looking for a place where their actual their contribution is actually valued and where they're treated better. And and getting those folks to kind of match up is something that we as an industry we haven't figured out yet. So that's a little bit more of a nuanced answer, but I think that there's an opportunity for a candidate to look at an organization, study that organization, and then, you know, there's the black and white of what does the job description say? And then there can be reading in between the lines of like, but what do they really need? And I and I do think that there's some some area for interpretation there. But today I would say that, you know, I think practical skills in information security are are much more valuable than 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 theoretical ones, you know. So and there's and there's also a lot of volunteer work. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of projects that you could do to help various communities and and getting involved in, in something like that can also be a way to bolster your resume. But I think that you know one way to go about it is to look at jobs that you find interesting, see what sorts of requirements there are. I think that generally speaking, you're going to see a lot of jobs looking for certifications. And some might be looking for like a master's degree or something like that. But but I actually think that certifications for a lot of folks who are looking to break into the industry are a great way to go. What's funny is you are not the first person to make that matching analogy on the podcast. <laughs> oh, <how funny> <laughs> well, I think, you know, there, uh, we're we're observing the same dynamics. You know, we may be looking at it from different perspectives, but there's there's definitely an opportunity to improve there. Absolutely. One thing I wanted to bring up is because you are actually providing some of that knowledge that people are going to need when they go into the field, whether it's through your security metrics book or through some of like your LinkedIn courses. Do you want to talk about some of the stuff that you're doing there? Yeah, thank you so much for asking. So I'm super proud of the LinkedIn learning work. The LinkedIn team who works with instructors on this is just is fantastic, wonderful people to work with, and really gives teachers like myself an incredible platform to share information. I had been invited to create uh, a learning path on the OWASP Top 10, the latest version of which came out in 2017, the second version, RC2. And so what I did was I actually have one course that covers the OWASP Top 10 in 45 minutes. So it's like a pretty general conceptual overview. And then five more courses, each of those goes a little bit deeper into two items at a time. And for each of those, I talk about some real life examples, as well as prevention techniques for each vulnerability category. Most recently, I actually did something a little different. So the folks at LinkedIn Learning, they had been receiving a lot of requests for 
like kind of a basic cybersecurity course, the type of course that you could assign out to an entire organization um, and help folks kind of get up to speed with, okay, what do I need to know when it comes to, you know, malware and phishing and social engineering and Wi-Fi and VPN and what do I do if I'm working at an airport, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so that that one was actually super fun, especially because I worked with a few different actors. We did some scenarios and we really tried to kind of make it engaging. So that's been a lot of fun. And right now, a lot of people are working from home and, and some folks, you know, they've got a little extra time on their hands. So LinkedIn is doing this cool thing where an instructor... So myself as an instructor, I can share one of my courses and everyone who's connected to me via LinkedIn can watch that course for free for, for up to 28, 24 hours. And that 24 hours starts once you click the link. So every day this month, I'm posting one of my courses uh, and I invite folks to connect with me uh, so that you can access the content. Wow, that's great. You know, and that's a, that's a great uh, point to look at, I think, not only from getting into cybersecurity, watching those type, that type of content, but also expanding your growth and, and opportunity in cybersecurity. How did you find the opportunity with LinkedIn Learning? And how do you find opportunities to also share knowledge outside of LinkedIn Learning with other platforms? You know, it's really interesting how there is sort of this, this like snowball effect and this momentum thing that happens. Um, A content manager, a good friend of mine now, Alyssa Pratt, had reached out to me from LinkedIn uh, and she had said, hey, like I was looking for an application security expert. I came across your name when I was doing some research. You know, would you like to create some courses on the OWASP top 10? So I was like, cool, you know, but actually another story I'll share is how I got the opportunity to write Security Metrics, A Beginner's Guide with McGraw-Hill. It was 2009. I was working on Dave Cullinane's team, and Dave was preparing for the RSA conference. And he actually had too many responsibilities at the conference, including speaking on a panel about security metrics. And so he turned to me and he said, Caroline, since you're running security metrics for our program, why don't you sit on this panel? And I was like, ah, you know, I mean, it was a <laughs> time was like really, 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 really a big deal. And so I did it. And after that talk, I was approached by an editor uh, who actually asked me to write a chapter for Lance Hayden's IT security metrics book. Later on, you know, as I was doing a technical review of Lance's work, I said to Jane, my editor at the time, I said, you know, Lance's book is so good, but I am like, I'm in the weeds. I'm like in the trenches of doing this work. And I know that his book is actually 10 years ahead of its time. It's, it's, it's too advanced for what people actually are, are doing right now. And so I said to her, you know, I could write a beginner's guide. And she was like, cool, here's a template. Um, and so it's just funny how sort of one thing leads to another. I do think that today there's an opportunity for really anyone uh, to write blogs about their projects and their work. Now, some of us work for companies that, you know, you got to be really careful about, you know, don't uh, share intellectual property that's not appropriate. You know, if you have, you know, media requirements and press guidelines and stuff, you know, make sure you're adhering to those. But a lot of times, a lot of companies uh, are actually happy uh, to have their security case studies shared within the community. Now, that is something that 
you know, it, it takes, there's this mental sort of wall, there's this mental block that you have to get through in order to say like, oh, I have something that's even worthy of, you know, writing a blog or, or submitting to a conference. And, and, and that, I think, that confidence issue is something that I wish I could help more people to kind of like wrestle with and get past, because I actually think that all of the information security practitioners in our field have interesting, insightful experiences. And then, and then, and then just to kind of, you know, one of the practical pieces of advice that I say to folks who I think might have a little bit of anxiety or a little bit of nervousness about submitting a talk or writing a blog, I'll say to them, look up your most recent local security conference and look at the agenda. And I'm willing to bet that if you read through the different talks in that agenda, there's one or two or five that you know something about. And and so that's a way to kind of get inspired and realize that, you know, you may actually have something really valuable to contribute and or a story uh, that others might be able to learn from. I think that's valuable advice. So let me get this straight. You are an author. You've been in other people's books. You have a podcast. You're on boards and councils. You have a LinkedIn learning courses. You're doing all these things. You have a drive to put yourself out there that I think so many people are envious of. I'm envious of your ability to be out there as much as you are. Number one, where does that drive come from? And number two, what would you tell people that want to have that you know, they want to be in the community, but they're, they're not exactly sure. Kind of like what you were saying about, you know, look at some of the agendas and, and just write to, to some of that stuff. What would you say to those people? Yep. So first of all, thank you for that incredibly flattering description. Um, <laughs> to be honest, I have to attribute a lot of it to my dad. When I was growing up, my dad really believed in me so much And he really encouraged me to do things like when I was in high school, he insisted that I join the speech and debate team. And so at age 16, I was giving like a 20 minute speech to my entire sophomore class and I froze and I, and I just totally lost my place. Didn't, didn't know what to do, but I was also really fortunate to have that experience at age 16. So that now at age 36, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty far past that type of anxiety. Although I totally get anxious every time I do a new talk still. So I think that, you know, having, having a role model in my life who believed in me and who really encouraged me to stretch myself, that's one huge thing. Another one is really having a a great team, being able to work with amazing people who help me to do what I do and who value my contribution. And, and honestly, I would, so so here are my secrets. <laughs> here Ooh, are my secrets. Um, yeah, let's do it. So I have I have secrets. So, well, secrets is a weird way to put it. Here are some techniques <laughs> that I have found to be effective. So with regards to writing a blog, first, the, the hardest part about writing is just doing it. And I think that a lot of folks, myself included, can get caught up in trying to write something that's like really brilliant and really perfect. And the reality is, it's actually a lot easier to just write something and then iterate on it. So whatever you can do to get something down on paper and maybe, 
you know, if there are different ways to do it, maybe write an email to yourself, you know, maybe talk into your phone and record your voice, just get it out. And then you can iterate. Because I, I, I my, personally, the hardest part about writing is just doing it. I also do this thing where I set timers. So it's super easy in our modern life to get distracted by everything. Um, and one of the ways that I try to focus my time, especially when I'm writing is I'll set like a five minute timer. And I'll say to myself, like, okay, for this five minutes, I'm not doing anything but writing. And if you actually do something for five minutes, and you don't do other stuff, it's amazing, you can actually make a little bit of progress. And sometimes that's enough to just get to the next part. With regards to public speaking, one of the things that I do is I write and I write a full script. Every word I plan to say, I write down ahead of time. And I read that script to myself multiple times. I go up onto, you know, at an event and I bring that paper with me. You can see in my recent videos, like I don't, I don't try and wing it anymore. I don't try and memorize it anymore. I write a script and I read off the script and, and that helps me a lot uh, with some of the nervousness. Wow. That's, th those are great strategies. And I was actually just writing them down. I'm going to take some notes for myself. W one of the questions that I was going to ask is uh, you, you have a great background at, you started at eBay, moved to Zynga, Cobalt IO, and even writing books. So how do you find the time to balance all these things, stay focused and also write? So what does that look like? And I think genius really leaves clues. So I'm also interested in the book recommendation too. Cool. Thank you. So I'm going to give a book recommendation. I'm going to give two book recommendations. One of them is called I Know How She Does It by a woman named, named Laura Vendercam. And what this woman did was she talked to working moms who make 100K or more a year, and she asked them to track their time in 30-minute increments for two-week periods of time. And she studied what they do. And so her book is all about time management. And she's an excellent author. She has a great podcast. I think she's a really great thought leader. Another one, which is, which is a bit more unusual, I would say, is one called Playing Big. And the author is Tara Moore. And what she does, she actually speaks to I would say, like the psychological and the emotional side of things. She, even the spiritual side of things, she looks at the ways in which we as humans criticize ourselves and the ways in which we actually get in our own way. And she provides a lot of really great techniques to try and manage past those. How do I do it? So I will say that I actually had somewhat of, of like a mental breakdown in like the 2008, 2009 timeframe. And so I certainly have not, I certainly did not always have as much of a grasp on it as I do now. You know, at that point in time, I was working for eBay, living with my parents at home in San Francisco. You know, I would get up at six on the road at seven to the office by eight, work until eight back on the road you know, go home, sleep. And that was just that. And then I also experienced this thing where, you know, I would do my work. And then if it was good, I would be asked to do more work. And then I saw that more work as an opportunity. So I would say yes. And then I would, and then, and then, you know, that list just got longer and longer and my plate just got fuller and fuller. And one day, it's like a Friday night. I am out at the bars in the Marina District of San Francisco with friends. And I am so tired. I can't even enjoy 
being with my friends. I am just, I am so just not even there. And so I was like, okay, Caroline, like you have to figure this out. This is not okay. And so I actually, this is very like type A personality of me. I signed up for a stress management class and, you know, I, I learned how to do things like breathe. And, and to this day, I, I realized that, you know, for as much as I work hard on the stuff that I do at work, I also need to spend a fair amount of energy and focus on taking care of myself and prioritizing. So to me, it's all about prioritizing so that I focus on the most important things. And that does mean saying no to unimportant things. And then the other thing is I've really, I've really spent the past several years studying myself. And what I mean by that is figuring out what are the things that give me energy and trying to do more of that? And what are the things that take my energy away and trying to do less of that? That is great, great advice. Speaking of things that give you energy, one of the things that Ron and I do is with the podcast, we want to elevate everyone's performance. Whether you're in tech, whether you're in cybersecurity, one of our goals. One thing that I found when I was doing a little bit of research on you is one of your missions was to boost the number of women in the field. Do you have a good success story of how you've done that over your career? You know, it's so funny because the reason I have a Wikipedia page, which is a super silly and awesome thing, is because there is this program called Girls Talk Math. And and so these high school girls actually get together and they, like, first of all, they do like really hard math problems. And then they look up female mathematicians and engineers and scientists and they and they interview them uh, and they do podcasts with them. And so it's actually due to this group of young women that I have uh, a Wikipedia thing. I think for me, you know, it's not... It's not about body parts. It's not about skin tone. <laughs> you know, it's not about where you come from. It's really just about the fact that we as information security practitioners have like extremely complicated problems to solve. And if we're going to solve them, we need people who know how to think differently. And, you know, statistics show that you know, there's a relatively small percentage of information security practitioners that are either female or or otherwise have a non-male gender. So yeah. So what what speaking of that, what organizations are you involved in today? Which ones do you look forward to most when you go out to go out to conferences? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, I really like OWASP. I really like RSA Conference. I really like WISP, Women in Security and Privacy. I really like ISSA. Oh, there was one. I really like the Executive Women's Forum. That's done by Joyce Bracaglia, head of Alta Associates. You know, I think that if you look around these types of things, they're accessible and they're worth exploring. And I would say to folks, like, check out the various communities and if you get a good vibe, you know, do some more of that. And if you get a not so good vibe, then then go do something else. You know, that's something that I've also learned. I, I, I always, you know, in the past, I tried to kind of be everywhere all the time. And then now I only like do the things I want to do. And it's so much better that way. 
so much better. Caroline, thank you so much for taking some time to chat with us on the podcast. I really enjoyed getting to learn more about you. And for the folks that want to stay in touch with the things that you're doing, all the organizations that you're a part of, what are some ways that people can do that? Yeah. So find me and connect with me on LinkedIn. Let me know that you heard about me talking with Chris and Ron here. I'm also on Twitter. I run Humans of InfoSec. So that's at Humans of InfoSec. And then I also have my own Twitter account, which is at Caroline W.M. Wong. Awesome. Thank you so much. And we'll be sure to put your LinkedIn and Twitter in the show notes. And for whoever listened, there was a lot of name dropping in there. Uh, Be sure to follow them on Twitter also. And thanks again, Caroline. We'll see everybody next time. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me here. 